Welcome to Paradigm Shift, the podcast about the intersection of business and law. By changing yourself, you can change your business. Now, here's your host, Christina Martini. Welcome to Paradigm Shift. My name is Christina Martini, and I'm your host as we explore the intersection of business and law. Today, we're going to continue our conversation about the aviation world and the lessons that can be learned on business and leadership. We'll be speaking with a seasoned commercial pilot and a business consultant who will continue to teach us about all of the lessons they've learned, and it will continue to be, I'm sure, a very provocative discussion. It is my pleasure to welcome Captain Emil Durbovolsky and Octavian Pontish back to the show. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Emil, would you prefer I call you Captain or can I call you Emil? No, no, please. <laughs> I'm just Emil. <laughs> of course, when I'm flying dressed up in my navy and the yellow stripes, they call me Captain. But now I prefer to be Emil. Okay. If you don't mind. <laughs> so, gentlemen, in part one, we talked a lot about some fascinating parallels between aviation and the business world. We discussed your new book, Dark Cockpit, and we dove into some of the lessons in aviation that translate in a meaningful way into the business world. So I'd love to continue that conversation and talk more about some of what I will call these levers of commonality. And I would love to start by talking for a few minutes about managing risk and dealing with uncertainty. Of course, aviation, as everybody knows, is a very critical part of our society globally and is incredibly important, not just for professional things, but also personal as well. And because of the high stakes involved in the aviation industry, I think that there is a lot that we can learn from that industry in terms of things like preventing accidents. Can you describe how aviation, what it does to prevent accidents and what does one do when a crisis hits and what is the captain's role? Now, first of all, thank you for the question. It's very important to know that in my opinion around us, you cannot find a such a high level of uh, not just professionalism, but of train people to follow procedures. Because following the procedure, it's hard. It's non-intuitive. You don't like it. It's something you don't do in your your, uh, life, in your personal life. But in aviation, let me give you an example. Before start, we are doing a checklist. First of all, we do some actions in the cockpit, and then we check them with a checklist, which is challenge and response. So one pilot reads and the other one confirms the actions done already. So before starting the engines, we have before start checklist and we do it. And after that, we start the engines. We do some actions and there'll be another checklist after start checklist. And then we start taxi. We do some maneuvers. We're approaching the holding point. We're approaching the runway. And of course, is a before takeoff checklist. And then we take off. It's a after takeoff checklist. Descending is an approach checklist. We have landing checklist, after landing checklist, and parking checklist for five sectors flight. So a five sectors means five flights a day or six flights a day. 
we do this six times, the same crew doing the same checklist, challenge and response. Now, how many times do you think we forgot something? Very not, frequently, hopefully. <laughs> not one item per day. But what, what do you think in a week? How many things we forgot in a week? Uh, very few, if, or I would say very few, if any. No, no, just no, no one, not one thing. Why? Because we do this all the time. And in a month, if we discover something, a flap setting or a different setting for departure, which was not done right, we are so glad that we found it because we follow the checklist. There are two things here. First of all, doing it so many times every day for a month, for two, then you realize you're good. Ah, I'm good. I'm not have, I don't have to, to check it all the time because look, in a month, we didn't do a mistake. So we are, we are in the same crew. In other jobs, it's easy to fall in this mistake. Look, I'm good enough. I will never do a mistake. But when your mistake, uh, it's such a high level of risk. You have to do it all the time. And the pilots are trained to do this. Those pilots you see, well-dressed, good professionals, everybody look at them with uh, pleasure, let's say, and with admiration. They do these checklists every day, hundreds of times, thousands of times a week, even though they will not discover a mistake. You know. But when you hear there was an accident or something, if you look deep, those people, they made a mistake. They were not properly trained. And most of the time, the people making mistakes, they were not following the procedures. So the, the outcome of this is that when you are, I'm telling to my young pilots, my co-pilots, my students, if they want to fight with, imagine fighting against SOP is fighting against your heartbeat. The SOP is like breathing, you know, it's normal, it's natural, just follow the SOP. And this is just one part of the, of the, coping with uncertainty and uh, those things you ask. Because as I said before, the pilots are trained to solve the problem. They're not complaining. They're not setting the parking brake in the mid-air and said, starting to complain or fighting or arguing about uh, the fact the mechanics, they didn't do their jobs or uh, the colleague didn't do their job. They are focusing on solving the problem. They're looking to the future to fix the thing. You know, this is a, a very different environment. I wonder if there be another, I don't know, professional field with such a level of uh, um, uh, procedure uh, respect. If I may um, build a bridge to, uh, by contrast to the business world, um, uh, where there's not too many checklists. Uh, imagine you <laughs> work in a company, and I'm the I'm the young guy, let's say, and I have a slightly more senior with me, and we're going to meet a customer. Imagine what would he or she say if I say, "Hey, hey, be before we go into that room, I have I've prepared a checklist of nine points. Have we prepared the agenda? Have we prepared the documents? Have we done that? Probably she, he or she will look at me. Come on, Octavian, you're from the moon. Of course, we do all these things. We're no, we're experts. Yes, uh, they might consider it um, not so um, interesting to do the checklist, or might uh, they might consider it, consider it beneath themselves to do the checklist. But in aviation, there's checklist, and they do it every single time. Just imagine they fly it from point A. It, it could be a, I know, uh, from um, Chicago to New York flight, right? They land in New York. Maybe they don't even leave the uh, the cockpit. The passengers disembark, and then there's cleaning. 
and then new passengers, the uh, the other passengers come on board. And uh, when they arrived, they did a checklist and they checked fuel and they checked this and that. So 30 minutes later, they check fuel again and they check this. And they never, not even once do they say, hey, come on, we checked fuel. It's the same plane. It's the same fuel. Nothing happened. To it. Let's just keep the checklist. No, they don't do that because they they find it as an important part of their job to do these things. If only that happened much more often in business, many more businesses would be even more successful than there. Of course, we find checklists, some checklists in uh, in medicine and maybe in the uh, nuclear plants, there's checklists, but uh, there is a lot of room for improvement in how we in business run our day. In too many cases, we say, I'm good, I've done this, uh, <laughs> it's not my first rodeo or how, how the expression goes. And we rely too much on our ability to solve it on the spot. In aviation, they don't rely on that at all. They say, hey, do whatever you can to prevent whatever you can prevent. And then you'll have no stress, even if uh, something that you couldn't foresee happens. So... This is fascinating. And I, from an operations standpoint, what you both have said really resonates with me. I guess the question is, we both, or we, the three of us know that unfortunately, sometimes there are accidents or things don't go as planned. What can we learn from the aviation industry when those mishaps happen? What can we learn? from those incidents that will help us in business or in life from having accidents or things not going our way happen in the future? Uh, when you look at, the, at an accident, even on the street, if you think there's only one reason for the accident that happened, you'll be mistaken. Because normally in aviation, we have a chapter in our book, in the dark cockpit book, we have a chapter uh, called 50 reasons for an accident and act, actually we are um, explaining the worst accident in aviation history the one in Tenerife when two jumbo jets one uh, belonging to Pan Am and one belonging to KLM collided on the runway uh, 500 or so people they died that day and we did this in the book not to frighten people or to get shivers to their back, but to explain that there are so many reasons for an accident to happen. And some of them, they are not related. And uh, we go further and we, we find a way to explain how a flight uh, is successful. Behind the successful mission, behind the successful project, there are we call them coincidences in the, in the mishap, in an accident, and we call it actions in, uh, for a successful project, for a successful flight. So it starts from the beginning, and we, we try to, uh, we the pilots, we try to address malfunctions and uh, different uh, layers of information the moment they, they arrive. We don't let things, we don't postpone things. Because postpone things, they will just gather. And at the end, they can be too, too heavy for your shoulder. Yeah. For instance, in the, in the uh, Tenerife accident that we describe, um, 
several things went wrong. Some were pretty big, other ones were smaller ones, but they did have a contribution. For instance, in the CVR cabin voice recording, you hear the communication, you hear communication with the tower. And uh, at certain instances, when you hear the tower communicating, it appears that in the background of the people in the tower, there's a soccer match or football, how we call it in uh, in, in Europe, right? Because football or soccer in Europe is, is very, very, very popular, especially in Spain and in those countries. So it appears that they had a radio on or a TV on with some match that was going on. Now, was that the cause of the accident? No. But did that maybe um, distract them from communicating properly uh, with the planes? For sure, yes. And then it was fog. And then it was everybody was tired because they all those planes were in that small airport uh, rather than being on the big airport where there was a bomb alert. So people were here, people were were tired, they were waiting, they they took on more fuel. So there are many, many, many reasons. So one thing we learn is that never the cause is just one. And a, a plane, and this is this is meant also to be good news for everybody flying. A plane doesn't crash just because all oh, the pilot was tired or all oh, because there's, there's turbulence. No, there have to be several uh, things to be happening in the same time, bigger and small for an accident to happen. What does it mean in business? Well, you hear people who um, bankrupted in COVID and they say, oh, it was because of COVID. Hmm, okay. Uh, but usually what that means is that it was not just because of COVID, right? Or maybe not bankrupt, by, or our revenue went down 80% because of COVID. Okay. But it was not just because of COVID, because other people in your industry have had their revenues go down, not by 80%, but just by 50%. Why? Because they did some things. But uh, maybe we, in our company, we were hit by COVID, let's say. We had a restaurant or a terrace or something, but then we got scared and then we got disappointed. And then, uh, so it was not, it's, it's never just one cause when things go wrong. So as a business leader, what should we do? Go look for the other causes because the main cause, it's COVID. There's nothing I can do about the pandemic. So I will just wait for the pandemic to end in order for my business to be successful again. That's not a very productive approach. A productive approach would be, okay, our revenue went down by 80%. Okay, it was because of COVID. What else went wrong? Well, it was the initiative and we lost some great people and we lost, we were not creative enough. And we, if we if we really spend time, we make, we make a list of five or 10 or 10 items that we did wrong in addition to or caused by the pandemic. What does it mean? Well, there's not much that we, either of us, can do by ourselves um, about the pandemic other than get vaccinated and wear a mask and all these things. But we can work on the other things. Right. Let's be creative. Let's make sure we don't lose key people. Let's, on the contrary, attract even more people. So if we work on what we can work, uh, then we will get out of this sooner. So uh, one big message for, for all of us is that whenever there's something goes wrong, it's never just one cause. It could be 10, 15, 20 causes. The second thing that we can learn in business from aviation when accidents happen is that information spreads very, very, very fast. So if there was an, maybe not a maybe not a crash, but there was an incident somewhere in south of France or wherever with a certain kind of, uh, of airplane, Within 24 hours, everybody knows about it. And they know about it not in order to blame the pilot or the young co-pilot to do that. No, 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 no. Or to blame the producer. They know about it and they try to 
fix, try to think right away, hey, if this happened to us, what are we going to do about it? And they train that incident in their simulators and they see how can we avoid it or how can, make, how can we make a note? So what is the learning here? Always be curious to what's going on and always be curious to learn what's going on. And you won't see these from the TV news uh, or from the usual scroll on social media, because that's, in many cases, that may just be a waste of my time. But uh, you will learn much more if you go on specific channels in your industry and follow specific websites. For instance, in aviation, there's a website called aviationherald.com. So for any of our listeners who are enthusiasts about aviation, that is a website that doesn't have any ads, doesn't have any colorful logos or whatever, but it has news on all the incidents. And it's pilots who comment, it's pilots who ask questions, it's pilots who answers. So it's a professional stuff. I'm sure everybody has the same sort of news outlet or channels in their own profession. So always be curious to know what was going on in other places so it doesn't happen to you, so you can be prepared. Or if something did happen to you, be willing to share and be willing to ask questions about how you can solve it. In business, some people are very proud. Oh, how was business? <laughs> if I were to be honest, business was very bad. But if you ask me, I would say, oh, this is good. Everything okay? Yeah, everything's fine. No worries. I could have used that 15-minute interaction with my more experienced uh, colleague from a different, uh, to ask a question that would have helped me. But I was being too proud. And sometimes being, or in many cases, sometimes in many cases, being too proud prevents improvement. So uh, these are a couple of reflections that we can learn from aviation and apply in our job, whatever our job uh, may be. Those are great points that you both made. And I think there's a lot to be learned and, and said. I mean, just from a manufacturing and safety engineering standpoint, all the classes I took during the course of my engineering discipline and taking and getting my degree were about things that you learn from things that went wrong, because when things go right, um, it's easy to sort of forget all the hard work and all the processes, the SOPs that go into when things go right. Um, It's just easy to sort of not remember what it is that you're doing and being able to pinpoint any one thing in that SOP that was what enabled you to keep things going along smoothly So what you both mentioned is really important. And now we're going to segue into another thing that I think a lot of us are focusing on, especially given that we're all hopefully on the other side of COVID. I know that there are a number of countries and many folks across the world that are still struggling very strongly with the pandemic. But I think everyone is trying to look to the future, at least in some shape or form, to figure out what the future of work and productivity is going to look like. There is a famous quote in aviation, which is, a superior pilot will use his superior judgment to avoid a situation where he has to use his superior skill. What does that teach us? And why is it that sometimes too much talent is a problem? And what can the pandemic teach us about this? The story behind that is when you have a young co-pilot or a young captain who's very talented, and he has to do a specific exercise in the full fly simulator or even a flight. And there are some bits and bits of uh, 
procedures they have to do in a proper timing. Let's say it's a visual, when you have to disconnect all the automation and you have to maintain a, a ground contact all the time, and you have to time your uh, flight from a specific point, you have to configure your aircraft, you have to start uh, a shallow descent, you have to align the aircraft with the, uh, everything on manual, okay? Sometimes we do this with a simulated engine failure for instructors in flight, or we are doing it with an engine uh, fail, failed engine in simulator. And the ones that are most talented, they will try to do this um, on the last moment to show how talented they are. I, I'm most concerned about those, you know, instead of just having uh, things done on the proper way, because it's like a, a weightlifter. You know, the weightlifter who lifts, I don't know, 300 kilograms, he has a, he has a procedure to it, isn't it? Nobody throws that weight on his shoulders because they will break their, uh, his, uh, his back. It's exactly the same with, uh, with the pilot, you know, because uh, landing, uh, uh, one engine in operative landing, visual, no automation, requires lots of skills. And the people, they, they are talented, they try to show that. And in my opinion, this is wrong because if you are talented, you're, you know that if something more happened, just one more mishap, well, just more, one more mistake, they will crash. They will crash you. They will uh, ground you immediately. They will put you in the ground. So uh, I'm, I'm very, it's very funny because after the simulators, we have this tool, which is very important in the learning process, the debriefing. The debriefing after the mission, the debriefing after the simulator session, successful or not. It's an important tool because this is the moment the instructor will give information and they'll give feedback of the mission. And it's very funny to see the talented people, they, they will think they will have you, you, you don't like them personally because if you, if you have a pilot like this, which done everything perfectly, but on the last moment, you never know if they thought it or it just went like this by miracle. So sometimes I'm repeating the exercise with that pilot, and they, of course, they think about, I have something personal with them, but the, the, the thing is I have with them is to, to teach them to be professional and to do the right thing on the right moment, not on the last moment, all the things together. Here's, here's an, uh, a similar example from business. Once I was running a uh, public speaking workshop, and uh, there we talk obviously about preparation, prepare in advance, prepare slides, prepare everything. And I'm sure it's the same in your uh, legal practice, Christina. You prepare arguments well in advance. And um, uh, uh, two uh, young participants said, "Ah, oh, Octavian, we don't do it like that. Really? How do you do it? This, this was before COVID. They said, they said, sometimes we finalize the slides of the presentation for the customer when we are in Uber driving to the... <laughs> Uh, office of that customer and they were happy and they looked proud of how how great they are that they're able to in the last moment sometimes at the front how skillful desk, they are yeah how skillful <laughs> they are and i was I, I felt like putting my head my my palm on my uh, forehead and say oh my god you're are, are, it's going to be a tough workshop because that's not the goal that's not the goal to leave everything for the last moment the goal is to be relaxed right the goal is to have everything ready maybe of course not weeks 
in advance because things change and you've got information, but still not, not do it on the last moment. So what does it mean for our listeners? Um, if you can do it today, do it today. If you don't leave it for the last moment, because who knows uh, what else will, will come up. And maybe this happened to you. It happened to me a couple of times, but hopefully uh, uh, gladly not often enough. So you have to put gas in your car, right? If you don't, if you don't have uh, an electric car, you have to put gas in. And sometimes you say, oh, no, I'll do it tomorrow. I oh, know I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. And sometimes when you're in the biggest hurry, you have to pick up the kid and you have to drop him off somewhere and you have to meet the customer. That's the moment where you must stop for gas. And then you say, ah, it would have been so easy for me to do this yesterday, but I left it for today. I know I'm going to be late because I have to put gas. And if I, if I'll say to those people, I was late because I had to put gas in my car, they're going to laugh at me because, hey, with a full tank of, you, you can drive 500 or 300 miles or whatever. Obviously, you did not have to uh, put it now. So what is, um, if we talk about work, and I'll, I'll zoom out a little bit, but if we, if we zoom in a little bit, do whatever you can um, well in advance, as in advance as you can. For instance, what this means for us in a speech uh, is that we never prepare the speech uh, um, just in the day of the speech or two days before. I, I like to prepare it um, uh, days in advance so that I can reflect on it uh, for that customer. And if in the last moment I have an, an idea, why don't I include this example here or story there? Usually I don't include it because, hey, there's a flow to my speech. There's a flow. There's a sequence that I found it okay. Uh, this idea now might fit good, but still, uh, uh, let's not change everything just for the sake of one idea that just came in the last moment. If uh, if we zoom out a little bit and talk about the the future of work, well, that's an interesting subject, and I think um, um, we have all of us to acknowledge that um, there is no going back to exactly the normal that was uh, before February or January or March 2020. Why? For several reasons. But first, uh, let's look at nature. Nature never goes back. For instance, if there's a forest and there's a fire in that forest, that forest will not be the same. Uh, it doesn't mean there won't be a forest anymore. Yes, there will be a forest, but there will be some trees that will be burnt and the, 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 there will be new trees, younger trees, and there might be uh, different insects or not so many insects and animals. So it's going to be, at least for a while, a different forest. The same is true for the, for the world of work. If, every, if anybody's imagining, oh, I, I hope that from the 4th of July or on, from the 1st of September, we will all be back in the offices and crowded 10 people per square meter or whatever, uh, uh, don't count on that. Rather, get used to um, this mix of remote work uh, and look at it as, a, as an opportunity. For instance, we work with people in different places in Europe, and some people, sometimes it's we work with people in big capitals and they are exposed to bigger customers and to more promotion opportunities and so on. And sometimes we work with people in smaller cities, beautiful cities, but smaller cities. And sometimes we say, I don't have this level of opportunity. Now you do. Because in this remote work, if you're really good at your job, whatever job that may be, you can work for the best company in the world if you are truly good. Because they will not expect that you be in, the, in their office from nine to five every single day. Um, uh, if you say, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to travel, I'll be there a couple of times a week. So come, and they'll, they'll say, fine, as long as you do your job. So uh, there is a lot of opportunity now that's available for those of us who want 
to uh, be willing to work harder and to improve and to go look for some for those opportunities. Of course, many people say, yeah, it's not good and complain, but there's never a perfect situation. You can always complain, but if you choose not to complain and look for the opportunities, not only will you have a happier life, but you will, uh, uh, you will achieve more for you and also contribute more to society. I really appreciate both of your comments on that front. Um, very insightful. And our, our time together is going very quickly and we're, we're almost done. But there's one topic I'd really love to broach with you that is also discussed in your book, Dark Cockpit, which is ethics. I know that there are certain specific issues that pilot examiners, for example, need to address. But I thought, um, to borrow your language, Octavian, I'd like to zoom out a little bit for a moment and just ask you both, you know, starting with the aviation industry, but also just reflecting on what you both have experienced over your professional and, and personal lives. What are some ethical issues, whether in a- aviation or elsewhere, that you have had to address or wrestle with? And what can our listeners learn from those experiences that you have had? Now, in aviation, we have uh, a syllabus for training. We have a syllabus for uh, flight. We have specific uh, forms. And we have uh, um, all the examiners or the instructors are standardized and they are scrutinized. So they will come, a group of instructors will come uh, with the same, let's say, conclusion if they will uh, just monitor or examine a person or a crew. But sometimes it's very difficult because you, we know each other. Sometimes we are very good friends. Sometimes uh, you fly with a brother or maybe with your wife. And it's very difficult to, to be all the time, um, prof- in not you'll be all the time professional, but when you examine somebody, I remember an old saying in aviation, it goes like this. If you are willing to let your family fly with this pilot, you just examine, and he will fly the way he was flying this exam. You'll pass the, the pilot. Otherwise, you will not pass the pilot. You know, so it's very interesting because sometimes I failed one of my best friends, maybe one of my uh, colleagues I uh, I love to fly with. But this kind of thinking that uh, the person should be a professional at any moment of the day any day of the week, any month of the year, because as I said before, we raise our co-pilots in, and we uh, grow them to the co-captain side with this uh, thing in mind. After they close the door of the aircraft, they will be the only one solving the problem up there in the air. So there'll be no uh, break in their, uh, let's say training, there'll be no break in their uh, assessment. It's a difficult, uh, situation when you have to fail somebody and when this happened you have to be very well prepared it happened to me a few times to fail people at the exams I'm the senior examiner now for Romanian uh, Civil Aviation Authority so these kind of things if you do them properly you can sleep well at night even though at the moment it's very hard yeah what is the what is the message for for us uh do the right thing 
Uh, if you and, and people say, well, what is the right thing? We all know what the right thing is. We don't. We don't need someone else to tell us. Uh, let me give an example. If imagine you have two kids, um, and maybe not brothers, but in kindergarten, and maybe they could be as young as two or three years old. And if uh, if you if if you tell them, hey, uh, both of you did a great job drawing here. I have a surprise for you. I have a, a, a bar of chocolate. And you break it. If you break it in two equal pieces and you give it to them, they'll say thank you. If you break a small piece and you give one the small piece and you give the other one the way bigger piece, <laughs> right? Every single time, that guy will say, hey, where, what's going on? Why don't I get half? They, nobody told them you, that the right thing is that you receive 50%. If you only receive 45 or 30, no, but they know it. We all know what the right thing is. So do that because if you don't, if you do the right thing, of course, you sleep well with all the implications of that, uh, but you maintain standards high and you maintain your reputation as a leader in tech. If you don't do the right things, that's bad. It might not appear so on, on the first day, but sooner or later people will find out. And whatever integrity and respect and whatever uh, yeah, role you had as a leader is long gone, unless you're a leader of bandits who, who do that all the time. But I guess well, that's not the, the, the subject we're discussing here today, right? So even if it's tough, if you have a delicate discussion to have with someone in your team, with someone with a customer, some, do the right thing. It might feel a burden to do, but once you do it, you'll feel way better. So if any of our listeners uh, have now some discussion, oh, I have a delicate discussion with, I have to call that customer because we invoiced wrong or whatever, but they didn't know it yet. If there was a, something wrong with the invoice and they did not figure it out, you be the one who called the customer. Sorry, we invoiced 20% more. Let me fix the invoice. Uh, not rely that they, because they will figure it out. And when they figure it out and they tell you, hey, you invoiced us 20% more. Well, what are you going to say then? Oh, uh, oh, oh, yeah, sorry, sorry. Whatever trust there was between you and that, uh, that cl client is not automatically lost, but is, is, is challenged, is questioned. There's a, there, there is going to be a question mark there that will not go away anytime soon. Well, in my experience, everything that you both have said is definitely held true that doing the right thing and, and you're right, Octavian, that, you know, everybody sort of knows what that is. You don't need yeah. somebody to tell you what it is. And sometimes it is the most difficult thing to do for whatever reason or reasons, but ultimately that is very sage advice. Our time together is almost up. And I, I always ask my guests, no matter what industry they're in, or what the subject matter is that we talk about, I always ask them for their thoughts on looking back on their lives and careers and going back in time. And if they had the opportunity to speak to their younger selves. So for, for both of you, if you had the chance to, to speak to yourself 25 plus years ago when you were younger and didn't know as, as much as you know now, what advice would you give yourself, your younger self, knowing what you know now? That's a tough one, Christina. <laughs> exactly. It's a tough one and very personal. <laughs> okay, and go first. Okay, I will think about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I would I would say dare even more, be even more um, uh, courageous, and um, especially at um, the age where you don't have a um, um, big family or assets or any kind, uh, dare and do even uh, greater projects. Because uh, if you don't do them, you'll end up with uh, uh, the thought, hey, what if, what if, what if? So it's better to uh, do, of course, don't do all the crazy things that you could do, but there even more. So if you're thinking, I'm going to grow my business to 100, whatever the 100 means, uh, think, hey, grow it to 1,000 or grow it to 500. Because even if you won't get the 500, you'll get the 300. It will still be bigger than the 100. Now, on my side, I um, very often think about uh, how it, be, it will be that if somebody gives me the chance to be young again, to be 18 again, okay, or, or be 20 again. I will not accept this, okay? <laughs> because if I meet there, I'm, I'm 50 now. I consider myself very lucky. I have a beautiful family. I was so lucky that I was able to do the most beautiful and uh, most challenging and rewarding job in the world, being a pilot. And if I meet the 25 years old Emil, I will not spoil his uh, pleasure to make mistakes, to learn from them, or to be uh, unhappy doing uh, wrong things, because this uh, led to the person I am now. So uh, I'm not a person to complain about the past, and I did some mistakes, I paid for them, but the, those steps, those um, I don't know, those uh, things in my past, they develop uh, the person I'm now. So I'm very happy with I'm, what I'm now. So I will not spoil the pleasure of uh, 25 years old Emil. <laughs> I love your answer, Emil. That's terrific. So our time is up. I would love to ask you both as we close out if you have any final thoughts that you would like to share with our listeners and where can they find you? If I may take just um, um, one minute, just to describe what the book title means, Dark Cockpit. Um, it's an expression in, in aviation. It means everything running smoothly. Uh, it means there are no warning lights, which clink, 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 engine on fire or whatever. It means no caution lights, which are amber, which is something that you need to look at, not right now, but in the future. Is everything, and we like this expression because it, it fits very well to everyone who's not a pilot. We And our wish for our listeners is to fly their days in, in, in a dark cockpit, meaning no warning lights, no customer calling. I don't like you anymore or whatever. We don't want to do business with you. No caution lights, no... Uh, other color lights, which which means stress, uh, but rather doing um, everything we can in time to prevent problems, to prevent issues, and being prepared every single day. That's what we wish. And dark cockpit is is not an expression that uh, just happens. It requires a lot of work. And I think uh, most of us know exactly what we need to do, but sometimes for various reasons, we just do a part of what we know we should do. So the invitation is if we know what to do, let's let, let's do it. Let's invest more time, more energy now because the uh, the reward is great. 
Thank you very much, uh, Christina, for your time. And uh, thank you, all our listeners. Please go to uh, darkcockpitbook.com. You'll find things about us. You'll find resources. You can download a chapter of the book. You'll find links to YouTube uh, videos soon about aviation from the flight simulator. So go there if you have time. And also, please feel free to connect with us on LinkedIn, uh, Captain Emil Dobrovolsky, and also myself, Octavian Pantish. And one more thing from me, the dark cockpits concept, it's uh, exactly as Octavian said, there's no lights to warn you or to, to stress you. So the flight is smooth, but so many times the generic pilots, professionals, they're flying in a Christmas cockpit with lights all over, cautions, uh, uh, continuous repetitive chimes, which uh, it's a stressful environment. And little by little, they don't know why they uh, are not uh, the proper level, why they are not performing well anymore, why they get sick. So my wish for our listeners is to fly in a dark cockpit all the time, do the right thing on the right moment, address the situations uh, uh, when they appear in a proper way. So I wish them to fly in dark cockpit all the time. Gentlemen, it has been such an honor and privilege to have the opportunity to speak with you both today. Thank you both so much for taking the time. And I know it's it's getting pretty late where you both are. So thank you so much. And I look forward to continuing our conversation sometime soon. Thank you. All the best to everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Paradigm Shift. We hope that you've enjoyed our conversation with Captain Emil Durbovolsky and Octavian Pantish. We hope that you will join us next week for our next conversation. I'm your host, Christina Martini. Please look for our weekly episodes every Tuesday. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please visit us at www.paradigmshiftshow.com. We would love to hear from you. Please look for new episodes of Paradigm Shift every Tuesday.